You are tuning in to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. After you finish listening to it, why not take a moment to listen to one of the most recent episodes? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. How are you, listeners? This is Tommy's Outdoors 63. Before you listen to this episode, I want to ask you a favor. To help me with the podcast, please leave a 5-star rating on the app or website where you are listening to me right now. And if you want to go the extra mile and help me even more, leave a review. And now, after having rated and left the review, please enjoy this episode of Tommy's Outdoor. Okay, with us today, Professor Thomas Cross, leading salmon scientist in the world. Tom, it's an honor to have you. Thank you very much. Listen, before we before we jump in into the subject of salmons, how did ha- how did it happen that you became salmon scientist? Was this something that you always been always interested in? And it's, it was just meant to happen. Or if I travel back in time and meet 16 year old you and say like, you're going to be salmon scientists, you know, known in the world. And you go like, oh, you're a crazy guy from the future. Like, how did that happen? Well, at the end of high school, um, I wanted to go into either medicine or biology. Uh-huh. And I, I reckoned at that stage that I wouldn't be very happy dealing with patients. Mm. So I thought that other animals would be more interesting to deal with. <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> um, so I, I went to biology. And then in my second year in university, the summer of 1967, uh, I got a summer bursary working on salmon disease mm-hmm. uh, with the head of department mm-hmm. then and got to see a lot of the rivers, the Blackwater and the Bandon and the Lee and the salmon in them and was hooked. <laughs> mm. Right, and that that, that is from there. So then, uh, completing my BSc, uh, we were allowed to choose one vertebrate group, and I chose fishes, and one invertebrate group as well, and I chose echinoderms, which are starfish and sea urchins. Oh, wow. So so they were my two specialities. Wow, it's great. And then then everything else is history from that point on, you just went in. Yes, because... um, my PhD was on hybrid fishes, which are crosses between species. Oh, wow. And the major one was salmon and trout hybrids, uh, oh, crosses yeah. between salmon and trout. The idea there was that the the hybrids between uh, salmon and trout and other species would have greater fitness than the individual species. Oh, wow. But this, this actually doesn't work. The, uh, this came from crossing... Uh, inbred plant lines, and oh. if you cross two plant lines, you get a more vigorous yes. I- individual. But the fish are not plants, but but fish are not plants, and they're not. It's very difficult to inbreed them without high mortality, yeah. and 
So and they're uh, not fertile, fertile, right? Yeah, they, you know, they are fertile in the first generation. Oh. In, interestingly, the second generation has low fertility or no fertility. Oh, um, but but some hybrids like um, mules, but the hybrid between horses mm -hmm. and, and donkeys are sterile. Yes, yes. but uh, but if if you do it the other way around. Uh, with the uh, horse as the mother, I think. Yeah, I yeah, always, yes. I always get it wrong. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, <laughs> they are fertile. Hmm. Yeah. But but as we used to tell the students, mules, of course, are very fit in the sense that they're very good at climbing up mountains and things. Mm. But they're not fit in the reproductive sense, the yes. Darwinian reproduction sense. Are you, it's a, it sparked my interest. So those fish, those hybrid fish, are they? Uh, is it occurring naturally? In it's occurring naturally. If oh. you um, electrofish in a river for for small fry of salmon and trout, yeah. you get about 1% hybrids between salmon and trout. Wow. So at the end of the trout spawning season, which is usually in November, and the, the beginning of the salmon season, which is in December, mm -hmm. you, you get a certain amount of overlap. Wow. That's very interesting. It's usually male trout with female salmon, I think, is wow. mostly. Ha! It's just, you, <laughs> we just started with like absolute. Listen, um, so we're going to talk about salmon and, and salmon and fish. Um, so just for the completeness sake and for these, I suppose, section of our listeners who are might be not aware, would you mind to explain what's special about salmon what's 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 their life cycle and and how does that work i'm sure that a lot of listeners already know that but i'm sure there's also some people that don't know that and i just want this podcast to be completed so let's start from the basics okay um atlantic salmon salmo salar that we work on mainly uh, occurs in the north atlantic naturally in the north atlantic it occurs from spain north to western russia in the east and also in the Baltic, uh, in Iceland, in one river in Greenland, and then from Maine to Labrador uh, in in the west, mm -hmm. in North America. Um, in general, salmon are what they call anadromous. They, they grow up, they spawn and grow up in freshwater, and they go to the sea to feed and grow. Mm -hmm. So in Ireland, they will spawn in freshwater streams, and they will spend two years in the stream or, or lakes on the river system and mm -hmm. grow to about um, 13, 14 centimeters long. Mm -hmm. And at that stage in the spring, they will silver up and go to sea. Mm -hmm. And they will spend between one and three years at sea yes. in general before they come back to spawn. So they'll come back after one year and they'll, they'll weigh about three kilos and mm. be about 60 centimeters long or if they spend two years at sea they will be much bigger they'll be about seven kilos and yeah. uh, maybe up to 100 centimeters long and what's what decides whether like what factors decides whether they spend a year or two years it, it seems to be related well underlying it is probably genetics but mm -hmm. but there there is also a question of whether you're circulating sex hormones are at a particular level. Mm. Um, if they're at a high enough level or above a threshold, uh, the fish will come back to spawn. If they're at a lower level, the fish will spend another year at sea. Oh. 
Okay. And in, in general, we, we now know that the route at sea is to go north from Ireland and Scotland um, oh. along the coast of Norway uh, to the uh, area around uh, the Lofoten well, Islands. Mm -hmm. And um, then if they spend another year at sea, they go across to West Greenland. So they're uh -huh. taking... A, a route north and then a route west if they wow. spend a second year. If they come back to Ireland, they come back due south again. Okay, um, okay. And and so so that that life strategy is to take the advantage of the food resources in the ocean. Is that is that the, yes 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 okay. Uh, so so they 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 can spend their entire life in fresh water, and, mm -hmm. and so a, a minority of salmon do, mm -hmm. but they don't grow as big. Yeah. Although interestingly, places like the Baltic, mm -hmm. uh, which is brackish water, it's, it's not full salinity. Yes. They, they grow quite big as well. Yeah. And maybe again, there's a physiological reason for this. That yeah. They, they have less energetic problems yeah. living in, in water. A third I think that salinity. just the food yeah, abundance yeah, is, yeah, is, yeah, is yeah, bigger. Yeah. Huh. And, and tell me, so... Is Atlantic salmon? It's it's is it spawning only on rivers on the uh, eastern side of the Atlantic? Uh, no, both, was, both east and west. And west. Uh, so so Canada as well. Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. There there are huge numbers of salmon in the rivers in Labrador. Mm. Um, because there aren't that many people and as many ah, problems yes, yes. in Labrador. And with um, climate change, mm -hmm. uh, the populations in rivers in the south of both continents are having more and more problems. Yes. And they're, they're going extinct and it's too warm mm. going to the ocean or it's too warm when they come to the ocean. Yes. And there are also few species of salmon in Pacific. There are. There are right? at least five species. Yes. Uh, they're, they're known as genus Oncorhynchus, which means hook jaw. Yes. Uh, and uh, so, and the rainbow trout actually is one of these as well. The, the rainbow trout is a, a Pacific salmonid, which oh. has been introduced to the eastern North America first and then to Denmark and finally to other areas. Oh, wow. I Europe. knew it was introduced, but I never knew it's, yes. it's, it's one of those hook, hook jaws. Yes, yes. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so on, on the, on the Pacific, there's, like you said, there's many, many species. There's a sockeye, yeah, yes, there's and a sockeye chinook, coho, chum, and pink. Thank you. <laughs> and there's also a thing called cherry salmon, masu salmon in Japan on the, on the eastern side or the western side of the Pacific. Okay. And so. Is there a reason that we have only one species of salmon in in Atlantic? Were they more and they went extinct, or Th that's interesting? Maybe the origin of of the salmonids is in the Pacific, and uh, they spread from there at uh -huh. climatic optima into the Atlantic. But I I don't think anybody is absolutely sure of that. Mm -hmm. you, you you know certain people have worked on the evolution of the salmonids. That's that's not an area I'm very familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, but that makes sense. That that's why we have a we have that species of salmon. Yes. And, and okay, so we have that introduction. We we know, and obviously, salmon is the it's an iconic fish. It yes. has a huge importance uh, from the economic standpoint, and it has a huge importance from the standpoint of ecology, and is also a very praised trophy fish yes. by anglers. 
And that obviously brings us to something, well, if there is a, if the fish is so valuable, then probably the lives, the, the wild stocks are in trouble, right? Yes. And unfortunately, that's kind of the theme that is occurring over and over again, whether you're talking about, you know, essentially any type of wildlife that well, are we losing them. Um, how the, how the situation looks like, uh, right now for, for salmon? Is it, is it like in, are they in the rapid decline? Are they like, you know, sable? Talking about the Irish situation and possibly the whole European situation, mm -hmm. uh, th there used to be quite a bit of coastal netting. Mm -hmm. And this was catching four fifths, 80% of the salmon coming back. 80%? 80% of oh. the salmon coming back to oh. places like Ireland. Now, this coastal fishing uh, was stopped about 10, 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. And there was a hope then that a large number of salmon would come into the rivers. Mm -hmm. uh, but that ha hasn't really happened. Mm -hmm. The we, We've talked about a whole series of problems with the salmon mm -hmm. in freshwater and in the sea. Mm -hmm. And it's it's like this idea of death by a, a thousand cuts. Um, mm -hmm. Each one contributes to the decline. Mm -hmm. And in freshwater, the, the, the problems are things like uh, silting up of the gravel that they spawn in. Um, if you have, for example, unfenced, edges of the river and cattle go down to drink regularly. Mm -hmm. uh, they release silt into the river, wow. which goes down into the crevices of the gravel, which need to be clear to allow oxygenated water to, to move to the eggs. Yeah. And this clogs them up and suffocates the eggs. Wow. Now, it can happen in a human sense where you have a quarry on a river like the River Bride that runs by us here mm -hmm. and they have quarries on it and the, the quarries produce silt as well. Yeah. Um, so th that's one of the things. And then you have problems with um, increased numbers of predators on the river in possibly otters are conserved. Um, a lot of birds, cormorants come inland and, mm -hmm. and feed on, on, on salmon fry. They're there's a problem as well of a conflict between how many trout you have in a river and how many salmon you have in a river. Mm -hmm. they, you mean they, like introduced trout? They, they, no, no, no. These are brown trout. These are oh. ordinary, ordinary native trout. Oh. And they compete with each other a little bit. Yes. And then going to sea, you have a problem with um, various uh, piscivorous fish like pollock and that eat them. You have more, mm. more and more seals because these are a conserved species as well. Mm -hmm. And then they, they go off to sea and um, th there are areas in the ocean going north now that have nothing, uh, no plankton mm. uh, to feed on. Now, we, we don't really know whether these were all, it was areas of low productivity but they certainly are now. Uh -huh. So the fish are going through this these areas and they're getting thinner and thinner 
and that increases the likelihood of mortality. Mm -hmm. um, and this is not considering humans for a moment. And th then they, they they head into the areas and, for example, with global warming around West Greenland, mm -hmm. you have more and more ice melt. Mm -hmm. And the ice melt is, is doing two things to the ocean. It's making it colder mm -hmm. and fresher. Yes. Lower salinity. And both of these decrease the number of prey species like capelin and, oh. and so on that they feed on sardine like fish. And um, so the, the salmon don't have as much to feed on yes. in those areas. And then they're coming back uh, to Ireland and running the gauntlet of lots of seals, sharks, mm -hmm. uh, nets, etc., etc. Wow. Um, now, the, salmon farming is another big problem mm. because you, you, at the moment, uh, over 2 million tons of salmon are being produced, Atlantic yeah. salmon. And this is, in kind cages. Of, this is kind of counterintuitive to many people because they would think like, the salmon farming should be good for salmon population because yes. you're not catching wild salmon, you're farming salmon, yeah. but it's, it's, it's the opposite. In, in the sense of what you buy in the supermarket, it's good. Mm -hmm. Because when you, you buy salmon, they're usually farm salmon. Mm -hmm. um, but on that note, I know, I know I have a friend who's an ichthyologist and he used to work in uh, salmon farms. Yes. And I was uh, on the boat with him one day uh, fishing and he said, I'm not eating salmon. And the skipper of the boat is like, why? Because you see all the shite that goes into them. And he says, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I don't totally agree mm -hmm. because I, I have worked in, in freshwater hatcheries a lot and been yes. to a lot of sea cages. And mm -hmm. uh, and the food that they're given is is basically uh, capelin meal, it's fish meal and fish oil. Mm -hmm. Now, there, there is an effort to replace the fish meal and fish oil with plant-based materials. Oh. But um, at the moment, they're basically being fed what they would feed on in the wild. Yeah. But it's been processed, it's yeah. been dried and extruded. Yes. Uh, like breakfast cereals are. Yeah. And isn't that the problem exactly that it's, it's like someone put it, it's not producing more fish, it's converting one fish to another uh, fish. Exactly. Because that fish that goes to feed farmed salmon are, are wild-caught fish. Yes. Uh, and basically what you're doing is is uh, converting a cheap fish species into a more expensive one. Yes. Uh, so that's... Yeah. But at, at the same time, you know, with increasing human population, Mm -hmm. You have to produce food in, in certain ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and my feeling is that salmon farming in ways is less damaging than some of the land farming. Right, right. Oh, that's, in, that's, in, that's an interesting point. Can, can we explore that a little bit? Because yes. you, you seem you don't have uh, attitude that the salmon farming is all bad. From an economic point of view, Mm -hmm. uh, if you consider that rather than a biological point of view mm -hmm. for a moment, yes, it, it, it's it's good because, for example, the the second largest industry in Norway now is salmon farming mm -hmm. after oil, mm -hmm. and it has meant that the 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 whole coastal area of Norway, two three thousand kilometers, mm -hmm. is remaining populated. So mm -hmm. people are in these areas and not all crowded together in Oslo. Yes. Uh, and um, 
so so they can make a living and they can live in these areas and that 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 is good mm-hmm. um from a biological point of view yeah. there are problems then mm-hmm. um there there is pollution from the cages there's pollution on the bottom there's pollution in the water column uh there uh, is disease transmission because basically you can have a disease outbreak that you can control inside a cage with antibiotics yeah but, but if can. these fish escape then carrying this disease they can mm-hmm. pass it on to to wild populations yeah and there's a genetic problem then uh which is my particular area of interest at the moment mm-hmm. uh where fish escape from cages and they're a lot less fit in the wild because they've grown up in a hatchery and they're used to being fed and so on and it's amazing how how quickly they they, they, they call it hatchery selection um really it's the release of natural selection mm-hmm. and um the americans call farmed salmon big dumb fish yeah uh, that's basically you want them to grow very fast mm-hmm. but they're no good in the wild yes. and when they escape into the wild uh they can go to um the faroes islands and, and to greenland and come back into the rivers and they can interbreed with the wild populations mm-hmm. and you, you have a, a decrease in productivity in rivers they're they're less fit um, mm-hmm. farm fish we reckon are less than 10% uh lifetime reproductive success that is from egg to the next egg yeah uh, of of wild fish and the the hybrids in between farm fish and wild fish of the same species here um are, are intermediate they're mm. maybe 30% as fit as the so, wild so so that brings me to interesting question what is what is the mechanism for salmon to come back to the river because like a traditional well, maybe not traditional wisdom but what what i heard is like the fish comes back to the river where he he the fish yes, was born that, the, the, right that's ho- natal homing yes but now if you're talking about fish that is escaped from the cage like how that fish knows where to come back and how does that happen well let's take the the native populations mm-hmm. i mean during the ice age there were no salmon in ireland for example mm-hmm. And then they came back to the various rivers as the ice receded, and they became established in their own river. So each river has its own native population that's pretty well adapted to that river, yeah. like the Blackwater, the Bandon, the Lee, and so on. Will <coughs> will each have their own, uh, and th- they're also a bit genetically different from each other. Wow. which allows us to type individual rivers but that's wow. that, that's a, another point but but in any case they they go to sea and they they seem to have a sort of genetic map mm-hmm. um of where they're going to go maybe travel north and so on and then then if if, if your gonads aren't big enough mm-hmm. travel west mm-hmm. after a year um so th- they may be using sighting on on the uh moon and the sun and so on moving that way but they remember the odor of the river specifically of their home place wow. and when they're on their way back to the Irish coast maybe they will use um sort of visual uh migration 
on their way back, playing mm -hmm. the tape back, if mm -hmm. you like. But then as they get close to their home area, they begin to use the sense of smell. Mm -hmm. So they distinguish their home area by the sense of smell and they can come back to the same tributary and the same spawning area right. as their mother and grandmother uh, and yeah. so on spawned in. Yes. Um, so that's the native ones. Now, the farmed ones, they'll have come from wild populations maybe 10 generations ago. Yes. Uh, and they will have lost maybe some of this migratory ability. But what they seem to do is follow wild fish <laughs> and okay. they they're less accurate at coming back it depends on when they escape as well if they escape very soon after they get into the cages mm -hmm. they they seem to have less homing ability than later on oh. but again we don't really know because nobody has tracked these things yeah accurately in the yeah. ocean you could think about the like where this particular salt farm on come from what area naturally and then if it escapes as it's gonna come it's like but i it's i can't even begin to think how research like that could happen it would but but the the interesting thing is that the majority of salmon in ireland or the vast majority of farm salmon are of norwegian origin yeah. uh, and yet they if they escape mm -hmm. they come back to ireland rather than norway right so that because must, they follow yeah, yes yes they must be following. Yeah. But then, you know, from time to time, they have to get it wrong because otherwise they would never uh, kind of get into the new rivers. That's right. right? Yes. So they, they, that mechanism is not 100%, but then they clearly can adapt to the new river. Yes, and, and they, they can. And you've touched on a point. Obviously, the native populations were in that situation when they were coming back after the ice receded. Yes. Uh, but what seems to happen, it's like barrel filling. They, uh, a population builds up in a particular river mm -hmm. and eventually then they ad they're adapted to that river yes. and, and less and less go into other rivers. Uh -huh. So that it's advantageous yes. to, to go back to your native river. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to, to salmon farming. Um, so in general, the net result is negative on population. I'm taking is that on wild populations. It's negative. Uh, Norway is the biggest salmon farming uh, nation in the world. Mm -hmm. Atlantic salmon. Incidentally, Atlantic salmon seem to be the best species of salmonid for farming. Uh -huh. So in Chile and Western Canada, where they're also farming salmon, uh -huh. they're farming Atlantic salmon. Yeah. And um, the Chileans don't seem to worry so much because there are no salmonids in the southern hemisphere. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, a, a small species called galaxid mm -hmm. instead of salmonids. So they're not so concerned about salmon escaping. Yeah. And they say it starts an angling fishery and so on, <laughs> on in the rivers. Whereas in Western Canada, they are extremely concerned. Mm -hmm. uh, they're saying, really, we don't want these Atlantic salmon yes, in our waters. Because they all have uh, native. They have, and they have native disease, they have diseases that they brought from other areas and mm -hmm. that the, um, the uncorinchids in the place will, will be susceptible to. And there's a whole lot of, almost arguments, philosophical arguments without evidence, but mm -hmm. it's difficult to collect yeah. the necessary evidence. Yeah. And so the, you're saying that this other species of, of salmon are not 
being farmed. Like they, 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 have, tri- they have tried. There's a thing that goes on with salmon, uh, which is called salmon ranching, mm-hmm. which the hmm. ESB do here on rivers where they built dams, like the River Lee down yeah. here. They built a dam, and that means they've cut off most salmon from going to the upper areas around McCroom and so on and west of McCroom to spawn. Um, They have a fish pass, a fish lift on the dam, uh, which is is partially successful. Mm -hmm. Um, But they built a big hatchery up at Carrigrihid to replace the salmon they'd taken out. Now, I think two-thirds of those salmon, the original broodstock, for, for the hatchery came from the River Bride, which mm-hmm. flows right by us here, and one third from the River Shannon. So there's a mixture of these, and they're put in as as hatchery fish, and they're grown up in the um, hatchery to smoke size, mm. two years. Well, yeah. e- even one year now it, mm-hmm. it takes because you can grow them faster yeah. with feeding all the time in the hatchery, right. and then they're released, and these fish come back. And that is known as, as salmon ranching. So they're like so a semi-wild. An, that is semi-wild and that is an intermediate stage between native salmon and farm salmon. Yeah. Farm salmon is a totally closed cycle. Yes. There's a freshwater hatchery, then they go into a sea cage. Mm-hmm. And if you're a salmon farmer, you don't want escapes because money is... Mm-hmm. is escaping out of your cage. Um, but ranching is something in between and um, ranching is generally not very favorable, but what, in what sense? In, in the sense that the, the ranch fish, are, if they spawn in the wild, mm-hmm. they produce progeny which are a bit less successful, less fit mm-hmm. than the wild ones. Mm-hmm. Because evolution is going on all the time. Yeah. Uh, one of the things we realize as biologists, maybe in, in, in my time as a biologist, is that evolution can move very, very fast. Yes. Um, now, it, it obviously takes several generations, but it's not several thousand generations. Yes. It, it, it can move fast. Hmm. And it's going on all the time. So is the far salmon ranching kind of idea to kind of connect the need for conservation of wild stocks and at the same time have some uh, fish for commercial use is that yes, is that yes. the idea well on take the lee now there there's some uh, netting goes on dr- uh, draft netting mm-hmm. uh, down near black rock castle in loch mm-hmm. Mahan. and so there are a few commercial fishermen still involved in this and then there's a whole series of angling clubs Mm-hmm. on the River Lee that are, are catching salmon. Yes. And then one hopes that enough salmon escape back to the hatchery to be used as broodstock mm-hmm. for the next generation. Okay. So it, it, it's a self-sustaining thing, but I'm not sure it's the best way of rehabilitating the Lee. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it doesn't, doesn't sound... It doesn't, doesn't sound. So just to finish off, on a, I have a two, two, two more questions on salmon farming. In general, as a as a biologist and as and taking into account conservation, would you would you like to see like if you're a you know emperor of the world, would you see would you like to see end of salmon farming, 
or do you think that if we get rid of salmon farming then wild fish are toast because they're all gonna get caught i think with population sizes and the, the need the economic need to keep populations in coastal areas mm -hmm. you probably need to keep salmon farming or aquaculture yeah. in, in in general going on the thing with salmon um that you would prevent escapes and disease transmission is if you could um farm them in in land tanks with seawater wow. but the problem there is that it costs at least twice as much to produce a kilo yeah. of salmon at the moment yeah. in, in in a tank on land Yeah. Uh, then it is plus you've plus got you're huge, all the fishes huge pumping costs um and then you've got fouling of of algae seaweeds and all all sorts of things hmm. and you've got a build up of pollution how, how, how are you going to get rid of waste <laughs> food and feces yeah so actually it's no better because you still no, have this, no, it, the same it, problem it, it would be good and and some of the the german supermarkets mm -hmm. are are setting up Uh, fish farms, recirculation, total recirculation fish farms oh. right next to them in the middle of Germany, thousand kilometers away from the sea. Wow. Uh, but but they're farming fish that are easier to farm at the moment, like tilapia yes. uh, and eels. Uh, okay. Uh, so that salmon would be more difficult to do. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, so what would be the way to kind of improve uh salmon farming like in the cages in the sea because i'm i'm taking from this conversation that well we need to do that because otherwise if we want to have any chance of actually i uh, can you know still have a wild salmon yes but then like you said this problem with the disease problem with the, all the waste and everything is is there is there a way of actually dealing with that or is it like a situation well, with no well one solution. specialist on on mammals mm -hmm. cows and sheep and goats and so on said that as soon as you domesticate a species it goes extinct in the wild <gasps> and he was thinking in terms of uh wild cattle or ox and things like that mm. wild sheep that's interesting uh wild goats but the they're making an effort as they say in norway the um i i know the people on both sides involved uh mm -hmm. nina the um nature management organization in norway mm -hmm. uh once their imperative is to preserve uh wild salmon populations yes uh, and to separate them as much as possible from the farms mm -hmm. now there's a huge farming industry as well and um they have initiatives for example like vaccinating fish against diseases so they don't have disease when they, mm. they uh, there are not disease outbreaks in the cages yeah. that would be an important thing they also have a thing called probably my pronunciation is wrong but it's das nosfaltas which is <laughs> getting matching uh your equipment to the conditions in other words if you have a very exposed location you have very strong moorings on the cages and you have very strong uh -huh. cages and so on to that are prevent. not broken up by winter storms yes and which is the major reason for escapes in, yes in yes. fact um so all of these things uh, as i say salmon farmers want to keep the salmon in mm -hmm. the cages yeah Uh, and they want to control disease outbreaks mm -hmm. and one of the problems about um 
salmon farming as farming anything is that if you have your stocking density very high and that economically that's a good idea Mm-hmm. But disease transmission-wise, it's, it's not. Disaster, yeah. they, they know it as the ghetto effect, where where you have very rapid transmission, where you crowd mm-hmm. a lot of any species, including humans, mm-hmm. yeah. in, into an area. Yeah, uh, uh, diseases move very very fast. Yeah. So, are you aware of the of the issue of wrasse and and catching? Oh yes, wild, absolutely. Wild, wild yes. Rust? Can yeah. you can you tell us a, a few words about that? Yes, um, wild wild wrasse uh, of various species. I think there's there's four species: balan, cockwing, and um, mm. cuckoo, cuckoo in Ireland. And I've forgotten what the third, uh, fourth one is. But um, they they eat sea lice from salmon, provided in the wild as well. It, no, that's mm-hmm. an interesting one. Okay, uh, because I I'm not sure whether. You know, in tropical areas, you've seen these ideas of uh, manta rays and cleaning stations yes, and things. Exactly. Now, I don't know whether that happens in the wild. That's a, that's a good question. Exactly, because the wrasse is co- kind of uh, close to the rocks and close to the yes, structure. Yes, it is. Yes. Why salmon is is a fish free swimming? Is it called pelagic? Yes. It's, it's good. Uh, and the wrasse are extremely territorial. Yeah. And they require little things like pigeon coops. In in the salmon cages huh. that they live in, and they come out and they they uh, preferentially uh, eat the sea lice from the salmon. Mm-hmm. But if there isn't enough s- salmon food around, um, or if the wrasse are insufficiently fed, mm-hmm. they start picking at salmon eyes and things, oh. which is is not particularly good. Um, the other thing that wrasse has been a problem with wrasse is that they they carry one of the diseases that um, they transmit to salmon. Okay. So um, the other species that they they use for as a cleaner are lump suckers. Mm. Um, so in Bantry now, where we're involved with, um, they have a hatchery that's producing hundreds of thousands of lump suckers wow. um, <laughs> to sell to the farming industry. To use as cleaner Sounds. fish. Wow! Now, theoretically, using cleaner fish is better than using chemicals yes. to control something. But you've always got to consider uh, the problems that you may be bringing in by using the cleaner fish. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you you know about what they call biological control all around the world, where mm-hmm. uh, prickly pear cactus, for example, went into was introduced into Australia. Or Pontia was mm-hmm. introduced, and they keep trying to introduce things that will uh, kill the plant. Yeah. Uh, so they they look extensively in in South Africa mm-hmm. for species that. Yeah, uh, will feed on. I it. think that Australia is really like a mess, and it, it, it comes is. to that I, I, because I mean they the, have ca- the, the cane, the cane toad, and the rabbit. Well, the rabbit is brought in for food and hunting. Yeah, but they've brought in red fox. The red well. fox, yes, yeah, yes, and they they brought in um, ordinary deer, red deer. Yeah, in, in New Zealand are a big problem. Yeah. Opossums in New Zealand, which yeah. have been introduced everything, from Australia. Essentially everything they could, bring it on the <laughs> yeah. ships and brought it over. Yes. And now it's like, yeah. wow, like yeah. a native population. Uh, and with um, British colonization of these areas, 
they wanted salmon and trout in their rivers and they mm. wanted red fox to hunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> then yeah. rabbits for the red fox to feed on. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, man. So so going back to Russ, and have you heard or have you have any, any information about the impacts on the wild Russ population? Because I know that was kind of like a big deal and recently that people No, there, there was worried. an article in the Sunday Times uh, the week before last mm -hmm. about Russ and they were saying that one of the big salmon farming companies, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> which is largely Norwegian based, but they have uh, farms in Scotland and Ireland, mm -hmm. uh, they had been taking a lot of wild wrasse mm -hmm. from their local areas. Yes. Uh, no, I, I don't know the facts of this, I, mm -hmm. facts and figures. It would be interesting to have the exact facts and figures. Mm -hmm. However, in the same article, they then said they were talking about lump suckers and mm -hmm. they were saying that people were taking lump suckers, salmon farms were, were paying fishermen to, mm -hmm. to catch lump suckers and they would introduce them into the cages. But they were saying that in Bantry, for example, in the hatcheries, they're producing hundreds of thousands of lump suckers. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you have hundreds of thousands of broodstock mm -hmm. because as you know, uh, a fish produces a huge number of eggs. Yes. Uh, the average salmon, um, 60 centimeters long, will produce about 3,000 eggs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's a multiplication effect. Mm -hmm. There's also, of course, a mortality effect. So yeah. if you're studying a salmon population, what you do is saying, is there, um, well, it's a, it's a one to two because there's males and females. Mm -hmm. But is e each female producing one female mm -hmm. that's reproductively capable in the next generation or not? Yeah. And unfortunately, for for many, many years, we've been below that sustainable level, mm -hmm. um, both because of freshwater problems, which you can do something about. Mm -hmm. You can stop, you can put a fence uh, yeah. at the edge of a river and prevent cattle from getting down all over the place. Yes. Um, you can maybe move predators to somewhere mm -hmm. else and, yeah. and, and so on. But but I have found in dealing with um, salmon anglers mm -hmm. that they're rather concerned only about one species, only about salmon. Yes. And they're saying sort of, we don't really care about otters, cormorants, any, <laughs> anything else. It's just, let's get more salmon. Mm -hmm. Doesn't uh, work that way. But I, I think you have to have a general yes. conservation idea. And, and also, I had some, I gave a talk on salmon in Killarney mm -hmm. about 12 months ago. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of anglers there. And they, mm -hmm. were, they were saying, well, we don't want salmon farming. Uh, but does that mean you don't want people to live in these areas? Yeah. Uh, because fishing as an activity is declining as well because of overfishing, as you know. Yes. And um, so how are you going to maintain jobs in these areas? Yeah. It's interesting because you're very, very... Uh, conservation-minded, but you also take into account of actually people and the economy which is yes. which is kind of fresh approach because you're not you're not like a one dimensional you're looking at the whole thing but if if you're part of a pressure group mm -hmm. um, pushing conservation you have to be extreme 
Mm-hmm. But I, I think you have to consider all the aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in the middle and somebody is asking you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Listen, just to finish off with salmon farming, one last thing I, I got to ask you about is what are your views about um, welfare of uh, salmon? Because you mentioned that they kind of, uh, the, the density is very high. And I even heard expression that if the salmon farming in the current shape is allowed only because it's underwater, Yes. If the if the pig farming or any other farming that's going on the land look like salmon farming, it will be banned in 24 hours. What are your views on that? Certainly, when salmon farming began in the 1960s in Norway, there were small cages inshore, sometimes right on the coast, stockades, mm-hmm. basically. And the fish were crowded together and they couldn't swim around much. However, these these big cages, 50 meter diameter Bridgestone cages mm-hmm. uh, and derivatives that have uh, a rubber um, edge to the cage and the cage hangs right. down from that and they move with the waves. Uh-huh. Uh, the salmon in those uh, swim a lot and they swim as they would in the, in the open ocean. Now, they swim in circles, of course, rather than straight yeah. lines. Um, but they, they, I don't think, would grow properly if mm-hmm. they weren't in reasonably good physical conditions. Yeah. Um, and, okay, you could say maybe they're, they're only growing because they're given a huge amount of, of feed and they have no effort to, to get the feed. <laughs> yeah. um, but if you go out to these salmon cages, uh, the, the salmon seem to jump happily and swim happily. And mm-hmm. if you dive in these cages, I've seen lots and lots of, I haven't dived in a cage myself, but I've seen lots of videos of it. Mm-hmm. And the, the salmon seem to be moving relatively happily. So as the industry goes bigger and more offshore, the salmon are in better physical condition. Yes. And in fact, there was one French farm that used to, oh, this was many years ago, that used to claim that their individual salmon had, had swum 3,000 kilometers, <laughs> for example, in yeah. their lifetime. Wow. Um, uh, and yeah. the idea was that the, the further they swim, the better condition they're in. Yes. And if you look at farm salmon now, um, phenotypically, appearance-wise, mm-hmm. they're very similar to wild salmon. The, the mm-hmm. fins are in good shape. They're long and slender. Um, mm. you, you get better flesh quality if the fish swim a lot. Yes, there's no doubt. Yeah, so that it's uh, the industry try to get more and more mm-hmm. um, fit fish swimming yes. yeah so in other words those pictures that we see in the in a in a in the news of salmon with the you know rubbed off skin and all that this is this is kind of i'm taking from you like outliers it, it obviously happens some places but it's not no a common it, thing it happens particularly when you have a big sea louse outbreak mm-hmm. the sea lice um feed on the mucus and scales and then they they expose the underlying dermis they yes. can do this yes um but but the farmers try to control mm-hmm. sea lice outbreaks mm-hmm. um by coordinating um chemical treatments within a bay for example yeah 
Yes. Um, and uh, single, it's called single bay management. And um, they they can, to an extent, control it. They can't eliminate the problem. Yes, of course. Uh, but it, it is controlled. And as I say, the, the, the idea is to have the very best fillet quality mm -hmm. you can. Yeah. It's an animal production yeah. method. And yeah. Yeah, uh, well. I, I mean, you may say you, you don't like animal production, mm -hmm. but if you're going to do it, you need to do it in the most humane yes. way possible. Yes. And there are a lot of people looking at animal welfare in this. Mm -hmm. Now, I suspect that it's harder to know whether a fish is happy <laughs> than whether a cow is happy. Yeah. That's but, no doubt. That's, yeah, no that, that's another. That's another thing. You mentioned that you're, that those cages are moving more offshore. Yes. Is that what you is that a, is that an, again the problem for the wild population? Uh, it it is if it means that there are more escapes. Okay. And it can be a problem for wild trout, sea trout, that go mm. to sea. Um, because you've probably heard about the controversy that's going on in Ireland about decline of sea trout. Please, please, please lay it out to us. It, okay. Um, sea trout do, do more or less the same thing as salmon. They, they all spawn in freshwater. Mm -hmm. But trout are different to salmon in that they have an option of either staying in freshwater or going to sea. Mm -hmm. And if some of the population in a river goes to sea, they're known as sea trout. Yeah. Uh, they smodify, they go silver at two or three years old and they go to sea and they come back. And these sea trout are often the ones the anglers are more interested in getting. Yeah. Because they go to sea, they usually grow bigger. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the, the, the angling uh, effort in lots of rivers is on sea trout rather than on brown trout, which are the trout that stay yes. in, in, in the rivers. The there's a book on sea trout called The Child of the Tides. Mm -hmm. Sea trout don't do the same thing as salmon. When they go to sea, they hang around the Irish coast. Uh -huh. They don't go off to West Green, the Faroes in West Greenland. And um, hanging around in that area, uh, the edge of the tide, uh, they encounter lots of sea lice that have come from salmon farms uh -huh. from treatment of salmon farms. So basically you have a nasty combination of where the trout are and, and where the sea lice are. <laughs> yes. and, uh, so the, the sea lice can build up on the trout then mm -hmm. and you have more and more of these migratory fish being killed off. Yes. They, they're coming back prematurely to the rivers uh, with basically holes in their gills uh -huh. uh, that allow uh, fresh water to go in and et cetera, et cetera secondary diseases that are caused. So certainly salmon farming is not good for trout, sea trout. <laughs> uh, in fact, it probably causes more problems for sea trout than, than it does salmon. for wild salmon, although mm -hmm. that's a uh, that's a debatable one as well. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, okay. That's uh, that's interesting. What what do you think like what's the what's the future? Where where with the we gonna we gonna is it that we're going to find like a happy medium between farming enough salmon to, you know, uh, satisfy the market needs and at the same time mitigate the problems with, or is it, you know, we, we will run out of 
wild salmon eventually well at, at this stage the wild salmon are they there may be uh, a couple of hundred tons of wild salmon are caught in the whole north atlantic mm. now and the the farm salmon industry is millions of tons up to two million tons mm -hmm. so there are far more farm salmon than there are wild salmon yes now that's no doubt. whether we can ex uh, stop the decline of the wild salmon is mm -hmm. is anybody's guess there there are other reasons for the decline obviously as like i said, said even mm -hmm. if farming wasn't there you you would i think have have problems and decline hmm. and basically you can't change well you can change climate change but you can't change it at a local area you can't go out and and do anything yes uh, to help help the salmon in the sea um salmon farming will continue i think if it's economically viable mm -hmm. uh, we used to run a masters in aquaculture in ucc and the first thing we used to say uh, to the students was with any species there are two considerations a can you grow it that's a biological imperative and b can you sell it at a profit mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the economic imperative yeah and there is no point if you can't sell it yes and, okay. and you won't get investors coming mm -hmm. in and there there is quite a bit of money you can imagine in the million tons of of salmon um, at about a thousand euro a ton mm -hmm. uh, th that's a big industry yeah uh, and yeah. a lot of banks must be bankrolling this and so on yeah if you're if you would like to give it because obviously you can also buy wild salmon and and some people think that the wild caught salmon is much better from the nutrition standpoint yes. than, the, than the farmed salmon if you were to advise someone from the conservation standpoint right there's a person who is really into saving salmon mm -hmm. would you say that it's better if you buy farm salmon it's better if you buy uh, wild caught salmon or maybe you should take a rod and line and cut one yourself which would which in your view would be i i would say nutrition wise you're probably right and probably wild salmon is is slightly better mm. i don't think there's a huge difference but but that aside yeah. you are better buying farm salmon but you're taking the pressure off the the wild right. even fish. even knowing the impact of yes. the farming the the pressure taking out the pressure is i i, I mean you, you you know that one of in supermarkets there's a thing called donegal catch Mm -hmm. uh salmon available yes. and i i was out with an angling skipper in cork harbor and we were talking about donegal catch and he, he said they're neither from donegal nor caught <laughs> uh <-huh. Okay. laughs> they're, they're farm salmon yes well no they, they might be from donegal yeah. but yeah. uh they, they they're actually probably filleted in yes. poland yes uh, oh yes speaking about poland you can you can you can buy a uh, Baltic salmon, yes. wild caught and, and farmed salmon. And the flesh is quite different. Yes. It's, it's like a, it's, it's like a, it's, it's, first of all, it's not pink. It's or, or orange or whatever color yes. is like the one that you're buying. It's literally different fish. 
And yes. this is like a wild caught salmon. You can only get in a certain time of the year. Obviously, the price is four times the price of the farm salmon and so on and so forth. So you can do that. But yeah. you would say buy the farm one if you worry about salmon stocks. Yeah, I, I, I think I would, yes. Yeah. The, the, the reason, incidentally, that color of farm salmon, mm -hmm. uh, if, if you're feeding them on fish meal mm -hmm. all the time, uh, th they will not be pink or not mm -hmm. be orange or whatever. Yeah. So they put in a, a natural pigment in the salmon food called anthozanthin. And the anthozanthin is what um, you get naturally in crustaceans like shrimp yes. and prawns yes. and so yes. on, which the salmon feed on initially when they go to sea. And that's why they're they're colored. Huh. And and then they they have a mixed diet, more fish yeah. later on. Yeah. Uh, but they, they feed this uh, to the salmon. Yeah. Now, they used to use a synthetic pigment mm -hmm. a, a, a number of years ago, but there's a more natural pigment now. Yeah. And this actually, incidentally, is the most expensive component of salmon yeah. food. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you said that because I heard I heard that about, you know, kind of uh, coloring yeah. salmon and 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 now you kind of confirm that that this is really what's going on oh, it is, yeah. and this is the most expensive like you said yes. part of the salmon feed okay that's very interesting <laughs> can we have a green salmon or something <laughs> no no i don't think so that, oh. that would be a long dead salmon probably <laughs> yeah yeah other than the dead one okay so now let's let's talk about a little bit about angling and and anglers um, from your experience, what is the impact of anglers, recreational anglers, and what is their role in general, or what could be their role in general when it comes to wild salmon? No, I, th I think anglers are very good first in that they're custodians of the of the local area. Thank you. I'm, yes. I'm so glad that you said it. <laughs> uh, and they, they look for poaching. They look for pollution sources. They're mm -hmm. out on the rivers. We don't have enough river inspectors mm -hmm. because basically it's a cost-benefit analysis and yes. how many can you put out. These guys work very hard. The river inspectors work yes. very, very hard. Yes. Uh, they they mo mostly work for the Indian Fisheries Ireland mm -hmm. IFI. Yeah, and uh, oh, I even I even have an episode of a podcast with one of the one of the inspectors. Yes, Bernie Brosnan. I don't remember what number of a podcast uh, was it. Is it. I'm going to put it in the description of the podcast when he was exactly talking about, you know, waking up at four a.m. and going, you know, onto a river and checking, you know, for illegal nets and yes. you know, it's 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 quite interesting episode. So so if you but 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 then the question is. Well, what proportion of the salmon coming into the river mm -hmm. do the anglers catch? Mm -hmm. If you're lake fishing, if you have lakes on a river, and we have detailed information for the last 70 years on, on the Borosul system in County Mayo, mm -hmm. where I used to work, um, the anglers are taking about 10% of the stock. So those fish that come into fresh water, the anglers take 10%, and the other 90% go to spawn naturally. Mm -hmm. So, so that's that's about the figure. However, on some rivers, uh, in particular low water conditions where they can't get up a weir and people are, are fishing it very hard mm -hmm. below the weir, uh, the exploitation levels can be eighty percent. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's um, 
figures from the River Wye in, in, in Wales and England uh, showing that, that they're very heavy angling exploitation. Wow. And the thing is that anglers want to catch bigger salmon. They want to catch yes. large salmon. So they, they five kilos and more. And um, so they concentrate on what are known as the spring fish, the fish that come back in the spring. Yes. And uh, they're, they're less interested in the smaller salmon, hmm. the grills yes. that come back later. But, but overall, like, would you say that you're, because obviously the salmon angling is regulated in Ireland yes. with the tag system and license and so on. Overall, do you think it's a good system that works or is it a system that requires some changes or improvements? No, I think it's a good system that works. And I think controlling exploitation is a good idea because mm -hmm. a number of years ago we were involved with the uh, Blackwater um, anglers and, well, the, the Blackwater salmon managers mm -hmm. and hearing that I think a half of the salmon that were caught that year on the Rodden Line were caught by three guys commercially fishing huh. up on the top of the Blackwater. And they were they were fishing day and night. Yeah. And and they were selling the fish they caught. But there's a Now this number was before the tags. Aha. Uh -huh. okay. Yes. Okay. And so so that is a very good measure. Yeah. Again, catch and release uh, is is hard to gauge. It, mm -hmm. it causes more mortality, but it allows some fish yeah. to, to get to spawn. Yeah, because survival rate yes. is not 100%. Yeah. Uh, th that was, I was checking that, that was episode 51 when yeah. we were talking about illegal salmon netting. And maybe that's something I'm, I'm going to ask you. What is your, in your view, the impact of the illegal netting that's, that's going? Is that the major problem in, in your view for wild salmon population? No, I, I don't know the figures. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean... Prior to uh, the the banning of drift netting in the ocean, mm -hmm. and it was coastal drift nets. Yeah, um, the coastal drift nets could take up to ninety percent of the salmon returning returning to the Irish Gee. coast. So, um, coastal drift netting was historically has always been allowed in Donegal, and then it was extended to the rest of Ireland. Uh -huh. And then 10 years ago, as I say, or about 10 years ago, it was stopped. Mm -hmm. So that um, that's what drift netting, coastal drift netting. And th there was also netting going on with pharaohs in West Greenland in mm -hmm. the oceans. And that ha has been intermittently banned as well because mm -hmm. that was taking a lot of fish, uh, half-grown fish, basically. Yeah. Um, now, you still have draft netting going on in the rivers. Um, this is where you you essentially seine net. Yes. You, you, you pass the net around some mm -hmm. individuals and pull them in. Yeah. And that has a, a, a lower impact. Mm -hmm. That has probably comparable impact to the angling. Yeah. Now, it varies locally. It depends on whether right. you have a good drift netting station or, right. or not so good. Um, th there, there's um, draft netting going on above the bridge in the Blackwater. You know, the bridge that goes mm -hmm. into County Waterford, the major yeah. road bridge. That that area, there's draft netting going on. And essentially, they're, they're pretty good. They, they take about 
half the salmon that mm -hmm. come back to the, the river yeah. Blackwater. Yeah. It varies depending yeah. on the year. Yeah, but I'm taking your. You said you don't have a number, so you 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 don't know whether like an illegal part of 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 the no no I don't. And, and the problem about illegal illegal fishing is that you you don't actually have accurate mm -hmm. numbers. Yes. <laughs> exactly because like i'm 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 just bringing that uh what i got with that conversation on on the 51 that uh, uh that that gentleman that i was interviewing uh bertie brosnan his name he was saying like well climate change and all that is is all good and well but uh, like you said we can't do anything about it yes. like here in ireland yes but what do we can do at least we can limit the illegal take of the no of the no fish. He, he, he's absolutely right and i mean there there've been stories in in rivers of nets going right across the river yes exactly that yeah. was that what what he was saying that the, uh, that the rivers uh, essentially and using explosives and oh, possibly God. using cyanide and, mm. and so on um so all, all of these things if you, the more you can control it and and the more inspectors you can have on the ground mm. uh, and these people are very very well informed about who is likely to do it because exactly that's that's what he was saying that he he knew exactly who they are that he just need to have a proof yes but he exactly knew who when where and all that oh uh, yes yes and the point is that with illegal fishing uh the illegal fishermen wouldn't make wouldn't catch any fish unless they were very knowledgeable so they're a mm -hmm. small component of the population yeah. and the fishery inspectors usually know who these yeah. these guys are yes um listen you you touched briefly on otters and cormorants and that you you mentioned that they are part of like so you you mentioned these in two contexts maybe i'm just taking it wrong because on one end you mentioned it as a part of the trouble for salmon that yes. they the but on the other hand you mentioned like well but they're part of the ecosystem and they if are. you if if you want to talk about salmon conservation you need to talk about everything not only more so can you lay it out for us what are the relation and and how does that work well for example if you take gray seals uh, yes th there there um is uh, prohibition on culling seals mm -hmm. and you will get angling lobbies saying that there are 10 times more seals mm -hmm. than there were certainly there are teenage gray seals that seem to come down the irish coast mm -hmm. uh, in the spring and uh, e eat a lot of salmon smokes mm -hmm. on the way out um, but it, it seems to be a question of balance Yes. balance between any predator like this otters are you want to reintroduce in, into waters mm -hmm. but they are going to by definition eat fish yeah <laughs> and w what are you going to get them to eat mm -hmm. <laughs> farmed salmon <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh, <laughs> in fact seals and, and otters they they keep as far away from from farms as possible really i uh, yeah they have i always thought they're gonna try to break in they do try to break in and they have these electric fences around uh -huh. um, farms which are about 10 centimeters from the ground so that an otter encounters them if they they try to get in and you have predator nets on on your ponds in mm -hmm. uh, in freshwater um, which is basically a net on top of a tank 
Yeah. And uh, herons in particular are very clever. They learn to bounce on these nets. They go in an area and they bounce up and down and they get into a place where they can stick their beak through and grab a fish. Wow. Um, uh, and cormorants in the sea then, mm -hmm. they, they and, and seals are kept away from sea cages by what are called predator nets, which mm -hmm. are a veil of nets of wider mesh uh, a meter outside uh -huh. the, the net cage that keeps the fish in. Yes. Uh, so basically your predator is kept a meter, at least a meter away. Mm -hmm. Now, unless there's a tear in either yeah. net. Yeah. Um, Does it not pose the problem for those the seals and other animals getting tangled and there, there's, it, there's surely it, there it, is a mortality? It does, and particularly cetaceans, dolphins and, and porpoises yeah. and whales uh, are getting caught in, well, they, they, you know, they're getting hit by ships and they're, mm -hmm. they're getting caught in, in uh, fishing gear and so on. Yeah. There, there's a big... A uh, conservation effort going on in Maine mm -hmm. uh, to design lobster pots and and uh, the the boys and the, the ropes from these mm -hmm. to avoid entangling whales, whales yeah. and dolphins that come through. Yeah. Um, but conservation to maintain biodiversity mm. as far as you can, yeah. I think, needs to look at all species. Yes. Rather than now, I, I quite understand why salmon anglers will look just at salmon. Because they want, yeah, I guess the, the the most salmon possible. Well, on one end, yes, but on, then on the other end, I think that these are people who, especially now, I actually I would expect higher level of understanding and a higher level of care about the environment as a whole yes. rather than I just want a lot of big fish and I don't care about anything else, right? Because then, well, go fish in a in a salmon farm yes. tank, right? You'll catch big fish well, and it's I mean, easy to this, catch. This is like the rainbow trout put and take lakes. There's one uh, near Dunmanway mm -hmm. um, where the IFI stock rainbow trout in and uh, fishermen can angle on it and catch rainbow trout. Uh, oh yeah, uh, there is a there is a lake uh, Alua in, in nearby in 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 Cork. Yes, right. And yeah. there are ca uh, trout cages. Yes. And I remember when we were fishing, we going there fishing for pike, and that was the moment where significant number of these trout had to escape. Yes. And we noticed there's a guy standing on. He stopped his boat. It's like there's a trout. There's a trout everywhere, and he had like a six or seven of those rainbow and trouts and you could literally throw the bear hook yes and they were grabbing that bear hook and yes, you yeah, can yeah. so we caught like a number of these trouts yes. and it's like well okay i guess we have dinner so, you know yes so interestingly salmon farming uh began when it was it began they used to farm rainbow trout at sea and they mm. they would market them as sea trout and they were, they <laughs> know, were technically uh, they were right. They, they were, were <laughs> very nice product. They, they were very good because when I worked in the Salmon Research Agency in Mayo mm -hmm. um, from 1980 to 83, uh, we used to buy these because they were half the price of salmon. Huh. <laughs> it's very interesting. That's <laughs> very interesting. Okay, let's for one second. So go back to the predators and the seals and, yeah. and the like. Do you see any need to control the population of those other predators in order to help salmon? And 
I guess that's a legitimate question because I oh, know yes. I know the efforts, for example, in I don't remember was it, is it Canada or Alaska where there is an issue of the uh, killer whales or yes. orcas yes. that also feed on salmon. Yes. They're trying to do various things to help salmon and some other things. So I th like I think it's a legitimate question, and and a lot of people who are listening to this podcast they're obviously environmentally minded. It's like yes. oh my god, calling seals is crazy, but is it crazy because you have this other no it, it probably isn't crazy because we have altered environments mm -hmm. and um certain species seem to uh have an advantage in altered environments and other ones have a disadvantage yes uh, and we need to know enough about whether there are too many i mean th there's an argument in killarney as, as to whether there are too many red deer for example yes and they whether are. there should be a call of red they, deer they are they yeah are, yeah they are. <laughs> and, way too many deer uh, it's not natural i believe you look at it you see all those but, but then maybe you could say there are too many sheep as well <laughs> They probably is too many sheep. That's true too. That's true and too. they're not natural. <laughs> no, 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 um, no. I mean, incidentally, there's a big argument we worked on on uh, Killarney red deer at one stage, and mm -hmm. there's an argument as to whether they are native or not. Oh. Uh, I define a native as something that got in naturally after the ice age. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas uh, something introduced by man, hedgehogs are introduced by the Normans, for example. Yes, <laughs> into our that's 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 very interesting. And I always uh, bringing this argument. I think it was in in Hawaii or or yes. where their pigs are non-native. Yes, and and some native people saying like, well. They were already there when we came, so how we are native and they're not native. Yes. Right? So this is this point in time. At which point in time you decide that something is native versus it's not native? Uh, and in Pacific Islands, I mean, pigs are a major item in the diet. Yes, yes. <laughs> they were they were left there for, by the whalers, I guess. Yes, yes, yeah. Goats yeah. and pigs. Pigs, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I heard that also turtles were were introduced on some of these islands. Oh, really? Yes. 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 Because what was happening that they found out that the fresh meat is uh, allowing to avoid um, this disease. Yes. Uh, yeah. Lack of vitamin C. You see, you see, yeah. And uh, scurvy. Scurvy, exactly. And what had what they found out that they could took those turtles and flip them around yeah, and right. they can stay alive for months and provided like that's for I mean that is animal, extremely cruel but animal yes welfare no, for you yeah. but this is what they were doing yes. and this is why they they were upside of sheep and and and, yeah. and goats and not sheep but goats and pigs they were also putting turtles same same yes. logic as a as a source of food so this is exactly that point what, are they native or not native? The trouble with culling things and so on mm -hmm. is, is you need to have very good biological information on what's going on. Exactly. Um, I mean, are there too many ants? <laughs> you know, should yeah. we be culling ants? Yeah. Uh, good luck with just that. A, uh, for example. Yeah. 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 Uh, can you share anything that's maybe a little bit off topic, but on the on the subject of red deer in, in Killarney, what's the how the situation looks like right now? Because I think that there's always not only biological arguments, but there are also emotional 
no arguments. I I don't know enough about Red Deer to. Okay, to, okay. To, I just saw that you know uh, want to take an opportunity that. <laughs> I, I mean, some of the um, Parks and Wildlife people in, in Killarney could tell you much mm -hmm. better. Yeah. about the situation with yeah, Red Deer. Yeah, yeah of course. I was um, just wanted that maybe you, you heard them. You know, it's, it's, it's a question of what too many is mm -hmm. and what impact they're having, Yeah, uh, what, what they're eating, what they're competing with, mm -hmm. what problems they're causing. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, it, it could be that you have too many of a species and that they're... Uh, they're increasing mortality within the species itself because animals are starving because they don't yes. have enough food resources or, oh, exactly. or whatever. Exactly. Um, okay. But I, I don't know the the details of the red deer. Sure. So, sure. you know, any, and we're here to talk about salmon, the yeah. deer. So <laughs> sorry about that. But I, I just I just had to. I just had to. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So it's in, it's a, it is interesting because you're you're saying that it's probably looking at the population of other predators. Yes. Is it is it is it completely crazy idea if we serious about salmon conservation? No, I, I think it's a good idea. But which government department is going to look hmm. at this? You see, maybe um, certain departments are responsible for land animals and otters are considered. Mm -hmm. uh, and then other, the Department of Marine is... Um, yeah interested in in salmon you, you you need people to get together and say well uh, you really need somebody to look after conservation of biodiversity yeah yeah and this is not happening no right it, it's not happening yeah. and unfortunately we're, we're well it appears to me from outside that there are these government departments which are vying with each other and they're they're mm -hmm. looking after their own angle very efficiently yes but but you know nobody is taking an overall approach exactly and, this I, is I, and you've got to say well okay our human population is going to increase 50 percent in the next 20 years 50 years and what impact is that going to have on mm -hmm. on biodiversity Mm -hmm. Because, I, I mean, you hear people talking about uh, the three big challenges environmentally, the climate change, plastics, mm -hmm. and uh, decrease in biodiversity. Now, there's obviously an overlap between these three things, mm -hmm. but th there's also different problems with each one. Um, you know, the, the plastic problem is possibly... Uh, one you could deal with more easily, mm -hmm. but then how much of, you know, plastic bags, it's, mm -hmm. it's just very difficult to envisage a life without plastics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's going to be by definition, a more expensive life. Yes. And then, well, it may be less wasteful. Yes. You know, that's, that's put it that way, because I think, and this is another argument that, that the rate at which we consume things yes. seems to be, you know, not related to the, you, you know, if you, if you look at the, at your phone, right, you're, yeah. you're, you're supposed to change your phone every two years, period. Yeah. Right. Yes. And like, why? Yes. Right, it it is it kind of like to make more money for Apple. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So a lot of things are aging morally. Like I heard that that term that it's morally aging, and you know if you have a 
uh, Volkswagen Golf that is 15 years old or 20 years old, like fundamentally, it's not worse than the latest one. So it, long as it's safe. Uh, yeah, it takes, it takes you from A to B yeah. and so on. But it's more like, whoa, like what? You have like a 15-year-old car? What's wrong with you, right? You have this, and this has yeah. nothing to do with actual uh, function. And the it. fashion industry and clothes and so yeah. on is the worst yeah. of all. Yeah. Because th there's all sorts of considerations like uh, low price labor from Asia mm -hmm. making these things. And then. Yes, yes. Okay, listen, uh, just to close off, um, what advice would you give to angler? You know, your regular angler, Concern about salmon, concern about sea trout. What you think what that person can do or should do to do his little bit to help situation? I I think an angler needs to know as much about their their prey species, salmon or trout, as possible. So they need to to learn as much about the thing as possible. And they need to consider other species in the environment, not mm -hmm. just their salmon and trout. They are the two things. Right. That's I, a big, that's I would a, say. That's, a, that's the biggest thing. That's yeah. Mm. Okay. That's perfect. Uh, Tom, is there anything else that you think is worth mentioning that we didn't touch on? I suppose a general thing. Uh, I am very keen looking at the role of biologists now mm. to point out that probably they're they're a gamekeeper on unsustainable economic growth. Uh -huh. they, they're they're looking at one of the roles of biologists is to try and say, okay, you can do this, and it will mean more jobs and more money for people, but the costs of doing this to the environment and to other species will be such and such. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's the role of biologists. And unfortunately, I think our politicians are short term people. They're in oh. for the four year. Oh. And and basically, government departments are considering economics rather than taking a holistic approach. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I think you need biologists and a lot of younger people. You know, you talk to teenagers and they're much more conservation conscious. Yeah. Um, uh, and Maybe because they're young and they're not bitter yet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yes, but, but it, we get a lot of bi biology students really interested in, 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 in animals and plants and the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you mentioned you 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 touched on a, a very very true thing that politics is only short term. It's yes. like a four year, and like it's not only in conservation, it's not only in biology, but for example, in fighting crime. Yes, you know, like like I I heard a podcast about fighting cartels in Mexico, and and one of the top guys who were you know fighting with, with with on the front line he would say like this is not successful because every next government has a different idea yes how to do it and we setting up something we start to have a little bit success and then there's a new government and they have a different idea and we starting from scratch so i guess that's the problem yes. in general that the system is a little broken 
with this cycle every four years and then we people gets upset about something else and we change everything it's like all right now we start we, we have a better idea and like oh my god so this, this I, no i am a bit depressed about um politics and mm -hmm. because you know that communism didn't work and mm -hmm. But, no, but I don't think capitalism didn't. works either. Mm -hmm. I heard a statistic yesterday that per capita, Ireland is number five in, in millionaires mm -hmm. per capita in the oh. world. Well, number five. Number five. Really <laughs> it's always interesting how they get that stat, you know, like, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. But I presume from rich lists and mm -hmm. so on. Yeah. So forth. yeah. They, they, they seem to have pretty accurate stats on. Mm -hmm. on people when you see these rich lists they say yeah. worth 235 million <laughs> yeah yeah that's it's should should donate something for <laughs> some conservation projects or something like that right? yes but but i think people do this you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah bill gates does, does a certain amount of this and yeah yeah certainly there 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 are more and more um I think that in general we're becoming more aware about the problem. Oh, absolutely. Even, you know, one of the thing is that people want always want to change now. Yes. And the fact is that we, as a as a human species, we started to be aware of these things like a couple of decades ago. Yes. Right. So if you look at the history, it it takes hundreds 200 years before we as a as a humanity move yeah. on and change something and we just become aware of these things yes so i i am hopeful that the more and more we talk about oh, no, it and it, it eventually we'll we'll get there like whether it's not gonna be too late for yeah. salmon and pandas yes. i don't know but yes and i i think greta thunberg is right i mean mm -hmm. she's extreme but she's right Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we, we, Patrick and I were talking recently about uh, the the idea in one of Jared Diamond's books that, um, mm -hmm. oh, Easter Island, mm -hmm. uh, nobody came to their assistance when the population was declining. Yeah. Uh, and they had all these problems and so on. They'd mm -hmm. eaten out their resources and there was warfare and so on. Yeah. But the world is a bit like... Nobody's going to come to the assistance nope. of the world. Yep. So it, it, it's up to the people within the world to yeah. Im improve things if they can. Yeah. yeah. I always, you know, I, I always find kind of reassuring thing that the planet and the natural world will be okay, which is, which is human might just not no, be okay. Yeah. But, you know, when I, when I look at the, the, the programs, you know, the, really like a deep history you know millions of years ago and how it's all been changing and you know when the first organisms start to produce oxygen and there was like a major disaster for the planet because all of a sudden yeah. some organisms started to produce this arguably toxic gas it's a toxic gas right to anaerobes yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> and and yet now thanks to the oxygen we have the planet we have right so like i see kind of analogy we start producing a gas that is changing the environment right and we might end up on the receiving end of that situation but overall the planet will be okay uh, and during the carboniferous uh, i mean there was 30 percent oxygen in the atmosphere rather than 20 percent yeah and th there were huge and huge numbers of fires Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. and incidentally there were dragonflies with almost a meter wingspan 
<laughs> because the size of insects is limited yes. by, by the amount of because oxygen. they're not breathing yeah, yeah. so they're bre tracheal breathing mm -hmm. yes. yeah yeah well interesting <laughs> tom thank you very much it's been a pleasure talking to you okay thank you tom You just listened to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. I invite you to take a moment and listen to one of the most recent episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.